listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. You're listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the week Monday the 5th of February through to Friday the 9th of February. It was a big week this week. We were joined by Winnow or... David Wenham or Diver Dan or whatever you want to call him. He's done a lot since Diver Dan, that's unfair. But he came in to talk about his directional debut uh, for the film Ellipsis, which is quite wonderful, and talked to us about all exciting things, Lord of the Rings, Diver Dan. It was great. It was great. Mm. What a very lovely down-to-earth man. He Um, was. Also, uh, I told you about my trip to Geraldine and uh, also I introduced you to a new game called the phone game. That was fun. What yeah. a game it was. Sarah talked about <laughs> <laughs> buying a car or not buying a car, not as buying the a car. case may be. And for Wednesday, our new segment, <laughs> I can barely say this, <laughs> Geraldine talked about talking to a stranger about getting their dogs to breathe. Yes, I nailed it. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. You are listening to Breakfasters for Sarah, Jeff and Geraldine. Uh, in my holidays, I know I've talked about this already, but we went. I went to Christchurch for the World Buskers Festival. Oh, yes. Um, and most of the shows, I was as part of a line-up show um, with three other um, brilliant comics. and But all of us did a, a solo show as well an hour solo show and um so the the buses festival um the way it works is people um buy tickets that's pretty much to secure a, a seat and then at the end of the show you pass the hat around and go thanks for going this is a buses festival please put money in the bucket um now in my in my solo show um there were not a lot of people in in the room <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's that's fine. It was uh, I, I am not uh, well known in New Zealand. I found out. I already knew. <laughs> I already knew. <laughs> um, but I just I did find a review. It's pretty funny. Do you want, I'm just going to read a little bit. Yes. of this. your own review. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, this is from, from from my show um, that I found the other day. <laughs> This is so good. (laughs) I'm familiar with all sorts of stand-up comedians' presentation styles, from the super hyped to the casual and laid-back, but I've never encountered anything quite as low-key as tonight's show from Melbourne Melbourne stand-up diva. Diva? Yeah, well, it's because the other show that I was in was called Nothing But Stand-Up Divas. So we're all... Everyone's a diva. Everyone's a diva. When the mics are off, you Mm. are a bit of a diva. Thank you. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Geraldine Hickey Uh, Her manner is so laid back That she gives the impression Of being not quite on top of her material Admittedly for this solo Hour long act It's a small audience Of just a dozen or so Although that quickly changes When a couple leave after the first five minutes Oh my god (laughs) (laughs) Did that really happen? Yeah. Oh wow. Oh, yeah, it did, but because it was the theatre was in um, was in the art gallery, and people were just walking past just as I was about to start, and they just went, "What's going on in there?" And the ushers just went, "Go in, quick, just go in, oh. sit down." And then they're, they're like, "We 
we don't want to sit here for an hour for a yeah, comedy yeah. show. Just wanted yeah. to find out what was going on. Yeah. yeah. So they left and that, that was completely fine. I don't know if I need to go in the review. Anyway, so you get an idea. It was in a 170-seat theatre. Wow. There was about 15 people there. Oh. Um, and then I had to do my hour show. Do you um, acknowledge that when you walk on stage? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I went in, I think I started the show by saying, you know what, when they asked me to come to the Buskers Festival, uh, they offered me um, like a, just a small little venue, about 20 or so seats in there. And I said, nah, give me a 170-seat theatre. I'll bloody fill it. <laughs> um, anyway, they all thought it was funny and we moved on. Uh, but did the show and then obviously afterwards had to ask everyone for money and I said, listen, all I'm trying to do is like, you know, in the pitch I said, I know you've already paid for a ticket and stuff and a portion of that comes to me, um, but, you know, it's Buses Festival and, listen, I'm just trying to make enough money to hire a car and drive to Geraldine because there is a town in New Zealand, ah. South Canterbury, called Geraldine. This is a good pitch. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've got a bit of money in the bucket. Uh, and then there was these a, a group of women that were there that were like, oh, hey, we're really big fans. Um, it was a great show, but we don't. I'm so sorry, we don't have any cash. Like, do you? At first, they wanted to take me out for dinner. Like, why don't you come out for dinner and drinks? And wow, <laughs> look at oh, no, you're going. Don't you do yeah. that? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like I'm, the only reason I didn't was because I had to go do the other show. And then one of them went, well. We we don't have cash, but you want to drive to... We've got cars. So would you like to borrow one of our cars? Oh. Yeah. And I was like, really? And they go, yeah, we don't, yeah we've got... Were you worried you might end up in the boot of one of those cars? <laughs> no, no, because it was just... They were just going to get... They gave me the car for the day. Oh. Yeah. That, that is Whoa. a very trusting very person trusting. to just offer their car it's to some... very Kiwi, isn't it? Yeah. They're nice so. people. Uh, so I was like, really? And oh. they're like, yeah, totally. So, uh, you know, we swapped email addresses and um, I got in contact with them like the next day and and then, yeah, one of them came and met me at the hotel where I was staying and I drove her to work and then drove to, to Geraldine. Wow. Were, you, were you worried about borrowing? No, because they were like, it's insured. I was, you know, I'm over 30, over 25. So, you know, and I and your Australian licence works in New Zealand. So, like, yeah, it was fine. They were like, because they were like, you're covered for insurance, so don't stress about that. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, sweet. So, and it was like a, a two-hour drive about that, just under two hours. To, wow, that's amazing. Um, and then I got there and... All the way home, I sang, I've been to paradise and I've also been to me. <laughs> um, what's, what's Geraldine like? Uh, there's not much there, but. <laughs> Three, triple R. Um, so I'm trying to buy a car at the moment. This will be my second ever car. I got my licence quite late. At age 26. Oh, mate, that's early in my books. Is it? Yeah, I was oh, like mate. 33, I think. I love yeah. meeting other drivers, adult drivers who came to driving late. Do you know Do you know what's good about it? We're better 
I think we're better drivers. Do you think so? I think no, we're I'm making that up. <laughs> I got mine quite late too, and um, I've always been a terrible driver. How I always, old were you? I was late 20s. I do. I, I got it for work, you know, like, because I, I always lived in the inner city and I never really needed one, and then I got a job where I had to get a car, and so, yeah. Maybe that's just from not having driven much as well. Oh, totally. Is, yeah. yeah. Do, oh, do so you have a car does, at the moment? What does no. it say about us? That all oh, three of us. Dysfunctional, that's quite clear. Okay, <laughs> anyone, right. anyone who listens to this show knows <laughs> that one. <laughs> Uh, yes, I have a car at the moment. Do you know the Honda yeah, that's Civic? Right. It's super beat up. So I bought that off a friend about five years ago, Honda Civic 99. Great little car. They go yep. forever, my yes. mechanic tells me. But it's they also came with a bit of a design flaw in that they uh, you, you often see them driving around having lost their paint. Yeah, they get sunburned. Yeah, they, they get sunburned. They do. It's exactly <laughs> yeah. what happens. And mine is peeled all over. Plus I've had... I haven't had any accidents in it, but there's a couple of ding, you know, reverse dings and there was dings in it when I bought it and it just looks a little bit haggard. Also, you need to treat yourself. I do need to treat myself. I would like to, and I've loved this car well and I've driven it well and now I think I need... It's time to upgrade. It is time to upgrade. It is. You're a career woman. (laughs) It is nice buying a car from a friend, isn't it? Oh, it's so easy. And and when I bought that car, I, I literally said to a friend about a year before I bought it, just random. Oh, this is a good little car. Everyone want to sell it? You know, yeah. search me out. And a year later, he's happened to remember and said, hey, do you want to buy that car? Yeah. And gave me a good deal on it and, and everything. And they tell you all the things and, you know, they say, oh, watch out for this. And yeah. At the time, he didn't vacuum it out, though. I do remember thinking that was... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and you've kept a grudge ever since. For holding on to it. Did you buy it off Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some crumbs. Uh, so I'm trying to buy a car. And I'm just not very good at this. I'm not a good negotiator. I don't know where to start, but I've been doing my research. I'm rounding it down to what I want. I don't have heaps of money. It's a, you know, I'm spending about 8K, about Mm -hmm. that amount of money. Uh, One of my sisters is a lawyer. One of my brothers is a diesel mechanic. They're both far more equipped to deal with this situation than I am. I'm Mm -hmm. not good at negotiating. I'm not good at understanding cars. You know what you need is a human Uber. I need a human Uber <laughs> to bring the dream because my these, these my siblings that live far away. Yeah. So I can't... <laughs> That's I can't. Right. Turn, turn up with an iPad on your face. Hello. <laughs> I'm just going to get my brother on. Uh, so they're not... They're, they're useful in that. Like I've been sending them links to cars and they've been giving me advice but mm. I can't have them there. So on Friday I went to check out a little car in Footscray and it was from a second-hand car dealership which I'm kind of leading towards because I like the idea that you can just buy a car and dr- kind of drive away. You don't have to go into the, you know, Vic roads and do all the... Mate, you, yeah, I understand that, but at the end of the day, it's not that hard to walk into <laughs> to, to the thing and hand in some paperwork. Oh, I know. It's just the whole thing hurts my head. I know. I understand. And the idea of driving to, like, Melton to meet someone to look at a car and then the car not being great and then having an awkward conversation. Mm. So you drove, where did you drive to? Footscray. To, to Footscray. Did you already know the car? Like had you seen like an ad for the car yeah. you wanted? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was going out, I'd rung up the day before. My friend actually, well, so I'm not good at anything like this. So my friend Kylie stepped in to be me. Mm-hmm. So she made the phone call oh, on my behalf. Yeah. yeah, she's very good at it. Uh, and she's kind of tough and she knows a, a lot about cars. And she, and she rang... Uh, for me the day before and kind of pretended to be me and sussed out the situation and then uh, we went in together. Like a human Uber almost. Yeah. <laughs> almost like a human Uber. Uh, and we went in and I've never been into a second-hand car dealership and from the moment that we got there, I just it was the most incredibly strange experience I've ever had. Oh, can I, can I guess what might have happened? Yeah, go ahead. Like you and Kylie were walking in 
and then uh, dude comes out and goes, hello, girls. <laughs> did he, did he even, call you girls? He actually didn't call him girls. He just turned up. He just appeared among oh. the cars. <laughs> it just pops up. Just, so we were looking. We found the car and it was a really packed car yard and we were looking at the car and then I turned around and he's just kind of standing behind us, staring. Like, I was leaning like, against the car. Yeah. I was like, oh, hi, um, you know, Sarah, I rang yesterday about the car. And he's like, oh, yeah. So uh, what do you think then? I said, I don't, oh. I don't know. Like, I haven't, I haven't looked at it yet. Can I get yeah. inside the car? And he goes, oh, yeah. Okay. So I got in the car, had a look around, and Kylie and I both got in the car and I said, is this weird? Like, he hasn't shook our hand. He hasn't said anything. He hasn't, like, there's been no established relationship. He was just yeah. this strange man. And then we got out and, uh, you know, then he said, I'll come into the office. And then we had this strange Exchange where he sat behind the desk in silence, <laughs> and then no. no silence, and then would go so, yeah. What do you, you know? How much? Yeah, what? and he kind of not ask a question. He kind of ask a question, and I think he wanted us. I don't know if it's a sales technique. He wanted us to talk our oh. way into it, but I also don't think he'd ever sold a car to a woman. I don't. I honestly think he was really? shocked. Yeah, I think he couldn't work out. I think that maybe when he sells cars, there's a person that he deals with and there's the other yes. person. So whether it's a person has a partner or a friend that's oh. more established, but he couldn't work out mine and Kylie's relationship. So he wants to talk to the husband sort of thing. I believe yeah. so. I think he thought we were together in a lesbian relationship, which really threw him. He kept looking at Kylie's ring finger because she had a just happened to have a ring on her finger and kind of looking oh. at her tats and then looking back at me and going, he was just so, and then, uh, and because I'm so bad at negotiating, every time he'd kind of ask a question, I'd defer because I wanted to change in my car. They said, like, I'd get a couple of hundred bucks for my car. Yeah, yeah. And when he said something like, how much do you want for that? I would look at Kylie because I oh. just have no. Yeah. So eventually he just gave up on me and directed the whole conversation to Kylie, yeah. which was funny in itself because it had nothing to do with her, but he just decided she was the man. She it was, was like, the husband. Yeah. Yeah, and she, but it was just I can't I cannot put into words how strange this experience was. And then we said, "Can we go for a test drive?" And he's like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> it's and I go, "Okay." And then I picked up some keys off the desk and I walked outside and he goes, "Oh, you're taking you're taking that car over there for a spin, are you?" And I said, "What are you talking about?" He goes, "They're not the keys." Oh. And I was like, "All right, mate." And we went for a spin in the car and I made a few phone calls to check if the Did car was okay. Did he come with you? No. Nah. He'll oh, us, thank goodness. Oh, I couldn't have handled that. Oh, I hate it when they do that. I couldn't tell if he was laughing. You know when you're like, are you laughing at us? I just think we totally bamboozled yeah. him. I don't think he could work out what we were doing. And then we, we came back and I kind of negotiated something of a price. But I wanted to go and look at some other cars as well. Mm. And he said, oh, well, I'll be hearing, I'll be hearing from you at four o'clock, no doubt. So speak to you then. And he she, didn't stand up. Usually it's the opposite, right? Usually, right. They, usually they just talk yeah. constantly and they tell you, great little motor, very reliable. That is exactly. Sold lots of these ones. Totally what I was expecting and I was preparing myself for the kind of smooth salesman. At one point he goes, are oh, you in a trading your little car, are you? And I said, yeah. And he goes, all right, I'll go and check it out. And he walks out and Kylie goes, he's just picked up his cigarettes. He's not He's not going to check out the car. He's going to have a fag. <laughs> and we look out the window and he's just sitting on the bottom of my car having a ciggy with the keys in his hand, spinning the keys. No, no, yes. really? Yes, and then he comes in, he's like, oh, yeah, all right. What I didn't, I know, it was, it was so weird. Anyway, so then I ended up having a think about it over the weekend and he called me twice and I didn't call him back. And then yesterday I rang what him. Did he call, what did he say when he, he called? Yeah. He just said, hey. uh, hey, you're just uh, wondering if you're still interested in the car. <laughs> uh, I thought, well, no, I, you know. 
Anyway, and then so I called, Kai called him yesterday for me actually because I, again, couldn't, I can't handle situations. And she put in a slightly lower offer because oh. I'd spoken to a mechanic. You know when you do all the, and yeah. I'd done all the sums and uh, he goes, I'll call you back. And he never rings back. Then I ring him at mm. four and I say, oh, you know, I was just double checking. And he goes, nah, you know, this, this, this amount or no less. I'll call you back in 10 minutes. Never calls me back. Don't, oh man! Never calls me back. A strange operation he's running there. He's so, uh, and he reckons there's some people coming in today to check out. Oh, he's obviously doing. No I think more. Don't talk to him anymore. No, he's I know. Done. Right, he's done, isn't he? My sister said that. I rang my sister and I said, "I'm so confused. I don't know what is going on. I think this is a sales tactic, but or it's just yeah, maybe it's he's a getting inside it's your not- head." You know, he's throwing you out with oh, a. He's just made me angry. I'm like, call me back. Don't, don't buy a car in anger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just buy it out of spite. I'll show you. Three. Triple. Do you know what day it is today? Yes. What? Day, what is it? It's Wednesday. What does that mean? That means that oh. it's. Wacky Wednesday. Wednesday. I was going to say Wacky Dear Wednesday. I couldn't remember what we called it. <laughs> well, I think we... I don't know we sort of well, we settle on it, do we? The, I like to Wednesday, though. Yeah, Wednesday is good. is pretty... Um, it's there. Or there was... Um, would you do it Wednesday? Would you do it Wednesday? That, yeah, that was the other. That one, was good too. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I it was my turn. Jeff, you gave me a dare. Do you remember what it was? Yeah. Yes, I do. You <laughs> had to go into the park with your dog and make friends with another dog owner. Mm-hmm. That and? was what we came up. Oh, did you? I mean, you had to ask them whether the dog was ready to breed with your yeah, dogs. Yeah. Well, not really. Yeah, ask if... Is that right? If something like that. How creepy is that? <laughs> yeah, I had to go and um, ask, go to the dog park and um, chat to another owner and then ask if our dogs could breed. It's <laughs> <laughs> a terrible day now I think about it. Well, I thought I about if, it a lot. I feel if it was just chatting with the other dog owner, she'd probably do that anyway. Yeah, well, that's true. There, need, there needed to be a bit of a caveat. Uh, and how did you how get on go? without that? Well, to be honest, the effort that it took to get even get to the park in the first place was up there because it was so hot yesterday and it was like, what time am I, is a good time to go? Because it, it was just going to be hot yeah. the whole time and I thought, oh, if I go late, too late, there's going to... Like I would, would have preferred to walk around the streets with the dog's ladder on in the evening. Uh-huh. Why couldn't you do that? Who am I going to find? Just some random in the streets. <laughs> well, I just without a dog. Were you yeah. with my dog? <laughs> we wouldn't have known anyway. <laughs> anyway, so but I, I, it's fine. I went. No, I'll step up to the Wednesday. Wow. And, uh, so I went. I went kind of late, about four o'clock in the afternoon, hoping to catch some after school activity. <laughs> um, now the problem is when I take. Uh, Harry and Lloyd to the to the dog park because we go to Yarraben Park and I tend to walk a lot but there's one particular place there where all the dogs just come and hang out like some dogs some people just come that go for a little bit of walk and then I'll just spend heaps of time there with all the other dogs sometimes you go there it's like whoa it's dog central <laughs> um but Harry and Lloyd are not interested in playing 
with the other dogs oh. too much. Just because there's some really big dogs there, they're a bit feisty and Harry kind of gets a little bit scared and Lloyd is just a sookie la la bum bum. Yeah, they like know. to mix with the rough dogs. <laughs> yeah. But then once he gets into it, he's he's fine. But they... It's so funny because they will just hang out on the outer. Like yes. it's like I've taken them to their first day of school and they don't want to play with anybody else. And they'll just go. And <laughs> well, they have their own little thing going on. The two of them. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so I thought, well, this is there's another challenge to overcome. But I, I walked up to the where the dog park area, and there was only two dogs there. There was two Italian greyhounds. Um, oh. They're not threatening. If anything, they're the op- the opposite of threatening. Um, lovely. <laughs> and they were. Fine boned. Uh, so we were. Good breeding stock. <laughs> so I was walking along, and then, but one, one in particular came bounding up to Harry so fast. And, you know, Harry's tiny and it just wanted to play. So Harry was a little bit, oh, and I was like, oh, it's all right, just play. And then I walked over to the owners and, um, you know, the dogs came because I was standing under a tree and, you know, went and hung out and got a bit of shade and the dogs came over and she goes, oh, you're a lovely dog. I'm like, oh, thanks. And she said, yeah, normally the little ones, you know, people tend to pick them up and then that's when she gets all excited and it gets too much. And I'm like, oh, yeah. She goes, oh, you've got lovely markings on, on your dog. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I noticed. Oh, that's nice. It sounds like she's going to proposition you for a breed. <laughs> <laughs> Not you personally, I'm at the dogs. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so then, and then Lloyd, Lloyd actually got along really well with this dog. Like they were having some good play Aww. fights. Yeah. So, and the whole time I am trying to talk back to her, but the whole time thinking, how am I going to ask? <laughs> if Lloyd can breed with her Italian greyhound. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Oh, so so like, that's why, you know, she said, I'm like, oh, yeah. Hey, so. <laughs> and then. And then <laughs> Just lost it. So then. Oh, yeah, I, don't I don't know how you would do that. Maybe well, the, when she was talking about the markings, that might have been a way. Yeah, I thought about that. I'm like, oh. You too could have those markings. <laughs> <laughs> but then. Um, <clears throat> So Lloyd and and the other dog were you know having a bit of a bit of a play, and then they kind of chilled out for a bit and like oh well oh they getting along well, <laughs> and then they were you know and I'm like oh look at them kissing ooh so does your <laughs> maybe we should make our dogs breed. <laughs> 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 she gave me the weirdest look. <laughs> I'm like, oh, just... <laughs> anyway, wait. <laughs> oh, jeez. <I'm... laughs> that is really fucked up. <laughs> and then I had to... I'm like, oh, so I might, um... <clears throat> I might just go for a... Anyway, just... we'll, we'll get a bit of a walk in. We <laughs> <laughs> should make our dogs free. <laughs> And then when we walked off, like I walked off, and then, and then we just happened to merge onto the same path, and then oh we God. had to walk alongside each other for a while, just making conversation. Anyway, I did it. So <clears throat> the end. Now, oh God. good job, mate. That yeah, was, that that's, is a, horrifying. that's over and above. Thank I'm actually you. mildly concerned. For my first day now. Uh, <laughs> 
your dear. Now, whenever I'm stuck in conversation with someone, I'm just going to go, maybe we should make our dogs breed. <laughs> your dear yes. is. Oh, God. I don't like that you've already thought of it. You have to um, create your own work of art. Like it could be a painting, a drawing, a collage, something, whatever you would like, and then try to sell it on Facebook. No, this, this is this is public humiliation. You guys have had individual Excuse humiliation. Me. Yeah, but that was one person. Yeah. I feel like this, this like, was always going to be the problem with this segment. Wasn't hey, it? This, is, this, is extra, no, this is extraordinarily public humiliation. What about if you didn't sell it on Facebook, but you sold it on Etsy? Because you, you're not going to know anyone on um, It's a Etsy. lot of effort. I know. <laughs> uh, can, we, can there be an adjustment to this? All maybe, right. maybe we can talk about it off here. All right, maybe. All right, I'll think about it. I don't want to be a bad sport if you just ask someone to bring your dog with them. Three, triple, ah. Oh. You're listening to Breakfasters with Sarah, Jeff and Geraldine. Uh, what's, in our house, we've been watching a lot of... Um, Law and Order, SVU. Oh, yeah. It's always a good good one to go back to. Yeah. There's so many seasons, 20 seasons. I know. And and we found... 20. uh, Over 20. Like, it just goes and goes and goes. And it's great. And because I was in JB and they had, like, you could, like, two for $30 for TV series. I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, getting that. It's just good to have. Yeah. Like, what are you going to – let's watch a bit of SVU. Don't have to think about SVU. Do you sit there and enjoy oh. the fact that it's going to be all wrapped up in 20 minutes? Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. I understand. I was like, it's longer than 20 minutes, mate, but I oh. see what you mean. Yeah, without ads. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, we were watching it and um, we just noted that Olivia Benson, Detective Olivia Benson, um, played by Mariska Haggerty, mm-hmm. the one that's been on it forever, does very good phone acting. Ah, oh. does she? So you get a, get the phone call and she gives good face in the oh. phone. So we Celia and I came up with a game called phone phone acting the game <laughs> or the phone game. Do you want to play it? Okay, let's play. <laughs> sure. So basically, I will give you a scenario and then you take that phone call and then you see where it goes. Do you want Do you want to do the first one? Not really, but I guess I have to, <laughs> given that we're live on air. Well, you don't have to. Sarah's here. No, Jeff, can go first. Jeff, Jeff yeah, loves it. Sure, why Loves not? it, Jeff. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's go for you. Um, a publicist-type person has called you up. Yes. And um, they've uh, got in touch, reaching out to you because they've listened to your podcast and they're a big fan of your interviewing style. And uh, Roger Waters is in town. Oh. Oh. And uh, was wondering if you'd be keen to um, have Roger Waters as a guest on your podcast. But then um, then they say, oh, no, sorry, we've got the wrong Jeff. And then they hang up. Go. <laughs> oh, this is a cruel situation. <laughs> so is he having the conversation in that order? Is he going through the emotional highs and lows? Yeah, okay. yeah. So this is what we're going to experience. So okay. So am I just talking to myself, or are you talking? No, no. You're pretending that someone else is on oh, the okay. phone, but we can't hear what they're saying. Right. Hi, it's Jeff here. <laughs> yes, that's right. I do that podcast. Well, in fact, I haven't done it for a while, but I guess it's still there on the internet if you find. 
You'd like me to interview Roger Waters? <laughs> Why? That would be great. Sure. When do you want to do it? Jeff. Oh, another Jeff. Oh, that's a shame. See you. How was that? <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> it's all right. Terrible. <laughs> Is that how you take every phone call? <laughs> That was so bad. What is wrong with you? That was all right. Hello. Oh, it's yes. Jeff. It's like you were talking to a Teletubby. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that makes Sarah do it now. I don't know if I can. I, I cannot beat that performance. I cannot. Uh, I don't want to do it now. Oh, okay. No, I'll give you one. Oh, God. Um, no escape. Should have gone first. <laughs> yeah. So your um, your friend ring is called you up just to have a chat. Yeah, just hanging out. But at the same time, they've got a scratchy, and oh. um, they're, so they're just doing the scratchy while they're talking to you. Yeah, and then they win like ten thousand dollars. And then because <laughs> they're already, already getting <laughs> nice. and because they're talking to you, they um, they said that they'd give you like a thousand dollars. Oh, okay. Yep. Hi. Oh, yeah, just sitting around looking at my computer. Yeah. Yeah, what are you doing? Oh, scratchy gambling. Not into gambling. How's it going? Oh, yeah. $2, you reckon? Yeah. All right. Maybe if you you win $2, you have to give me half. All right. Just make that promise now. Okay. Oh, yeah. Nah, bullshit. (laughs) $10,000. Nah. Oh, really? Nah. Really? Nah. Oh, my God. That's awesome. So do I get some of that money now? More than a dollar? A thousand bucks? Oh, I'm coming over right now. Let's have a beer. Perfect. That was very good. Was it? Oh, yeah. good. Okay. I really want someone to give me a thousand dollars now. <laughs> um, do we a, have to make one yes, up for you? Yes, are you doing one as well? No, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can give me a scenario, and I'll do it. Also, someone just sent in a text saying, "Hi, Jeff. Nina rang. Try again next time." <laughs> <laughs> Lol. All right. So you start with Jess's. Oh, <laughs> I just feel like uh, reprising the dog breeding one, but we've already done that. Have we? Oh yeah. We've already done that one. Okay, someone rings you, mm-hmm. okay, and they, they ask if it's you and you say yes. Mm-hmm. And they ask you a few kind of personal questions. And then they ask you if you want to come in and try out for a new role on Neighbours. Okay. And what is that role? Yeah, you take it from here, Jeff. Uh, you're going to be Toadfish's wife. <laughs> Tony, <laughs> and you find out in that order. Okay. <laughs> I, I uh, would pay to watch that. <laughs> I want you to be Tony Fisher's wife. Okay. <clears throat> Hello, Geraldine speaking. Yes. Oh, um, yeah, I could uh, I'd check my diary. Sure. I mean, I work in the morning, so I'd be unavailable then. Mm-hmm. 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 Don't ditch yes. us. <laughs> and... Okay. Uh, no, I don't have an agent. Um, I just, yep. Okay. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. That's. W- what would the the role be? 
Sorry, who? <laughs> oh, that. Thank you very much, but I am not interested. <laughs> You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 Triple R in Melbourne, Australia. You'll know David Wenham as an actor on the big and the small screen. He's also a director and his new movie Ellipsis is about to be screened at The Sun, the classic The Nova, at a series of special events this Sunday the 11th of Feb. To tell us about that and other things, he's joining us now in the studio. Welcome to Breakfasters. Good morning. Good to be with you. Ellipsis is a film about what happens when two strangers collide for a single evening, but I've also heard it described very aptly as a love letter to Sydney. Was that focus on the city? What attracted you to, to the project? Um, It was, I suppose, a combination of a number of factors. That is a a very important strand of the film. Um, Because of the nature of the film, it was an experimental film in the way um, I made it. It was made in 10 days from inception of the idea to completion of um, principal photography. And to make things relatively easy for myself, um, we shot it within walking distance of where I live and I live not too far from King's Cross Um, so the majority of the film is shot there and I suppose it does reflect um, a great affinity love and affection I have for that for the city of Sydney but also that particular area of Sydney which is changing by the minute um, if not disappearing completely. Well, I, I lived in Sydney for a while and whenever I go back, my friends talk about how much has changed. You have lockout laws which have changed the face of particularly King's Cross and yeah. uh, some of the inner city suburbs. But I watched this film and I loved Sydney again and I missed it. How did you create that? How did you make people love Sydney? Well, I think uh, the majority of the film is uh, occurs through the night and I'm a firm believer that, you know, cities change uh, between, you know, night to day, day to night. Uh, you meet people that you don't necessarily encounter in a city at night as opposed to the day and that would, that's what happens uh, through the, the film. Um, the look of the film, look, I suppose I've spent so many years living in that particular area. Um, I have, a, a you know, an aesthetic sort of... A particular aesthetic way that I wanted the, 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 the city to look on screen and, um, yeah, without thinking about it too much, that's what we did. You've worked in huge multi-million dollar productions like Pirates of the Caribbean and 300. As you say, this was shot very quickly, uh, a, 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 a workshop script. Did that insanely tight schedule for you as a director, is that, was that liberating to be free of the constraints of a huge budget or did it put extra pressure on you to, 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 to bring things in within that timeline and under budget? The former. It was completely liberating. Um, Strangely enough, it's probably the most relaxed and stress-free that I've ever felt on a film set. Um, And I think the the lack of constraints probably led to that. Um, Nothing was forced. There There was no artificial construction. We just allowed things to happen organically, spontaneously, um by impulse um, to give the, the, re, to, the to give the listener some sort of context um, what what happened is th- myself and two actors Benedict Samuel and uh, Emily Barclay we spent three days in a in a workshop room coming up with a very relatively simple narrative for a film two people meet by chance that particular encounter uh, means they then spend the next about 18 hours together and through that time they end up being changed in some way, shape or form. Um, so in that three days, we workshopped their characters and then sort of also targeted thematic concerns that we might like to investigate through the, um, the, the filming process. And then we went out onto the street for seven days, seven nights, 
mostly knights, and put those characters in real operating situations. And those actors were encountering real people. Um, and we, we let the film take a, a very organic, natural course. What happened to get the three of you in that same room to work on, on the on the project? And, like, was it your plan to direct this film from the beginning? No, it wasn't. It was, I suppose you could call it a happy accident. Um, I'd spent six years working on another film. Um, I had imagined it, I'd dreamed about it, I'd planned it, and we'd just begun shooting it, strangely enough, with... Emily Barclay and uh, and Benedict Samuel and I and we were shooting it on film, sixteen mil film, and I shot some stuff with with Benedict, and then a little bit of money fell out, and we realised that we couldn't actually do the film the way that we wanted to do, to do it, and so I had a very sleepless night. Um, and look, we could have pushed through and whatever, but I, I thought, okay, hands up, look, I'm going to let this one go. You know, it's not the first film to fall over; it won't be the last. Um, maybe there, there was a reason behind that. But that led to a sleepless night and over that sleepless night I thought, well, I've got two actors who were desperate to be involved in that particular production and I know what it's like as an actor um, having spent so much time preparing for a particular piece. It's like you're driven to do something. So I felt for those two actors. So over the course of a sleepless night... From the back of my, you know, the recesses of my imagination, I'd always wanted to do something like this. Experiment in film construction and the actual creative process itself of how stories and characters are made. So the next day I pitched this idea to Benedict and Emily and my producer about making an experimental film. Not in not in subject matter, but in form and construct, which is something that filmmakers are never really allowed to do. And because we had a micro-budget, we did it ourselves. You know, we, we self-funded it. We weren't reliant on any government funding bodies. We were, you know, we could experiment and we did. I've read interviews with you talking about moving into directing from quite a long time ago and this film has been described as your directorial debut but it's not actually is it you were one of the directors on the turning of project based on um tim winton's work so can you tell us a little bit about how you moved from acting to make making films yourself that's right. I have been talking about directing for, for <laughs> quite some time. I've, you know, I think I've described myself as a frustrated director in an actor's body for a long time as well, which I, I, I think I have been. Um, probably about 15 years I've wanted to direct, and I've been asked a number of times to direct, um, but I've never felt simpatico with uh, the material or the ideas that have come my way. Um, and I did direct a, one of the Tim Winton short stories for the omnibus feature film The Turning. Um, Look, I think some actors get to a stage having worked with so many different people and having been on so many film sets that you feel as though you'd like to exercise far more creative muscles Mm. than what you normally do as an actor. And that's certainly been my particular case. Um, I have a huge interest in uh, in visual arts, in photography. Um, I want to exercise those creative muscles, and I can via film. Um, I'm interested in film history, um, and I've been influenced by, you know, movements and great filmmakers through history and I've been very fortunate to work with some great great filmmakers in my career that have certainly you know influenced me so I've wanted for a long time to put some of this into practice. Did you just get bored in the caravan while you're on set? (laughs) (laughs) There is a part of that actually um on yeah, I do. I've got a very relatively short concentration span. Yeah. So I want to actually, I want to, my brain moves very quickly, creatively, I think. So sometimes, yeah, I do get frustrated on, on sets. Just waiting when, and yeah, waiting. Yeah, because you can, you can kill the moment. 
Mm. Um, yeah, the, the spark can die. And so in a really strange way, doing this film very, very quickly allowed the actors to not overly think things but respond and and act completely impulsively um, without having to, as I say, overthink. And strangely, really magical things can happen there. That's, I mean, that could be really dangerous as well when you let two actors just improvise like that and hope for the best. The chemistry between uh, Benedict and Emily is gorgeous in the film. How much did you let them just run away with it when you were going around? Like, was there yeah. kind, of, kind of stopping them and going, that's bad improvisation? Or did you just film and... Yeah, well, I obviously had a lot, to, a lot of material to to choose from, but I gave them a hundred percent freedom to do what they want. I would set up the longest we spent in any location was two hours. That was the longest. Mm-hmm. So we would arrive at a location, not necessarily knowing what we were going to do, and allow something to happen, whether that be um, somebody in real life and the situation coming by and allowing the actors to interact with them or setting up just a little scenario and then um, allowing Benedict and Emily to roll with it. Um, about 95% of the film, it's, there, it's only ever one take with two cameras. There's no rehearsal. Yeah. So um, Even when there's characters who are just wandering into you, a scene that are people off the street? Correct. You can't, you can't reset that. That's yeah. one take. Um, like, you know, in the adult shop with the, the two gentlemen in the adult shop and whatever, that's one take. Um, huh. it's, one, it's a really good scene in the film where both the characters go into a, yeah, like a sex shop in Sydney and there's this great kind of conversation that occurs between them. But was that improvised? They're amazing. They're, 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 they're the real McCoys. So yeah, I, wow. I, I just set up um, those the two characters, um, Jasper and Viv, to enter into the, the store and then see what happens. And we filmed it. <laughs> oh, um, Wow. It's like the the scene in Stonewall, um, a nightclub in Sydney. Um, I had access to that. That whole sequence was shot in twelve minutes. The whole sequence. Wow. We were yeah, at Stonewall for about twenty minutes. Would Would you do this type of thing again? Like, Not, were there stresses involved? What are the were there negative sides of this? There was the. Um, the, I questioned myself once during the actual filming mm-hmm. process whether it was something that was actually going to um, come together. Um, and then in the editing process as well, uh, it took a little bit of time to shape the film, but I was fortunate in the fact that I had seven months off after filming it before I then revisited m- the material. So I could look at it really, really fresh, objectively, and then, you know, throw out stuff that I didn't think was worthwhile. Would I do it again? Not like this. I've done the experiment, mm. but I would work... I've got two projects that I'm working on that are much more formal, but I would utilise some of those techniques that we um, we played with in, in Ellipsis in those, those projects. Uh, as we said, you've had an extensive Hollywood career as well. By way of contrast, can you tell us what it's like to be part of a major, big-budget... Um, so institutional film. I'm thinking of something like Lord of the Rings. Or I think 300. <laughs> I read in a, 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 your description of training for the insane martial arts stuff in 300. What, yeah. what is that like to be in that machine? Um, but both experiences, those two films, Lord of the Rings and 300. When you're in them. It's pretty magical, I've got to say. It's it's a fantasy world. It is fun. Lord of the Rings, because of the scale of it, you know, you're aware on a daily basis that it was a very special 
um, really? time in one's life. Yeah, because there's was, so many. You hear so many stories of people being in these big films and just being like, "Oh, it does, it's not that special. You're just hanging out in your van and then you come out." So it's yeah. nice to hear that you realise that it is a magical With thing. With that one, that was. Lord of the Rings was very unique because it was like the first film of that scale shot in New Zealand, mm. um, basically built out of, you know, Peter's imagination. He built this incredible filmmaking empire and that was the beginning of it. So to see something on that massive scale in New Zealand with the amount of people and, you know, the, the number of horses and, and weaponry factories and whatever was pretty incredible. It was very, very impressive. So that one and also... You know, people involved knew that they were probably on a winner there because I think after the Bible, it's the second highest selling book of all time. I might be wrong and I'll probably be free. <laughs> but back then, that was what was fed to me. So we thought that, you know, the source material was probably pretty good to be in a good movie. Um, and with 300, um, the thing that I take away from that was just the, uh, the, the training regime that myself and the other, I think, four actors and the 50 stunt guys would go through every day. That was actually... I'll never do anything like that again, you know. Um, but when we were doing it, it was amazing to actually feel that fit. And, <laughs> and all I could think of was, you know, in years to come, and it's been, I don't know how many years now, a dozen years since I did the film, I can look back and go, yep, I was that fit once. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever feel intimida- intimidated anymore walking onto a set? Oh, every time. Really? Every time. Every time I do a job, I feel um, extremely nervous. Um, sometimes I think I can't pull it off. Um, yeah, but every time without fail, nervous. Every time. Mm. Mm. That's why and it's so good. I, I think, but I think you have to have nerves. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just complacency. But, yeah, terrified sometimes. Terrified and in, and often intimidated by um by other people and, you know, other talent or, or directors. Yeah, it takes oh, a while been... to then, you know, fill the, the, the confidence basket. And Who's been the most intimidating person you've worked with? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're, they're, there's different ones for various reasons. Um, I think I'll have to let that one go through to the Oh, keep. too much. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's yeah. Philosophy. Oh, well, I have to ask this too. In, in other countries, I'm sure people associate you with your various Hollywood roles, but I think for a lot of Australians, you'll always be Diver Dan. What was the experience of Sea Change like for you? Was it unexpected for... I mean, and did your life suddenly change overnight? Um, it was... The, I, I think the success was probably... The, the size of the success was probably unexpected. I don't think people these days realise how... Um, phenomenal that that television program was in terms of its reach in Australia at the time. Um, when we were filming it, we we weren't aware that you know it was the it was the ABC on Sunday night. Yeah. And now it's a pretty you know it's a pretty solid time spot. It wasn't necessarily that solid back then, and we just thought you know it was going to be you know pretty it was going to be good. Um, but we didn't. I've got to be honest, we didn't actually think about what it was going to be like. It was just a magical show to be involved in. In. It was one of those times where it was just a beautiful creative experience where everybody was perfectly cast, the, the directors were all um, completely fine for it. The, the, the writing from Andrew Knight and Deb Cox was sublime. It just came together. It was a really... It was a magical um, time. Um, and then did my life change by it? Well... I left. I had, there were three seasons of Sea Change. I only ever did the, the first one. I only ever did twelve episodes of that thirty-six mm, huh. episode show. Um, I went off to do a movie um, in Hawaii, and 
when I and the move and Sea Change was screening the whole time I was shooting that film, and when I came back to Australia and I had no idea what was happening in Australia, <laughs> I came back to Australia after shooting the film and Sea Sea Change had aired, and suddenly for the first, I, I was sort of this strange recognisable face, which was very very odd at the time, I must say. <laughs> All right, people who want to go and see Ellipsis, you're going to be a very busy man on uh, this coming Sunday because there's going to be three different screenings at the Sun, the Classic. And the Nova, and you'll be doing Q and A at each of them? at each one of them. Yeah, I will be. Excellent. People can jump on their websites, presumably to book. The film is called um, Ellipsis. We've been talking to its director, David Wenham. Thanks so much for coming. Great talking with you. Thank, Thank you. you. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from Three Triple R.